There is special music today. It's not in your bulletin, but it was accidentally, I don't know how it would happen, but it's Felicia's going to be having special music for us this morning. Trade to run. 
Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 10 and 11, and this is what it says, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal obediences imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Morning, church. Uh, For those of you who don't know me and those that haven't seen me for like two months, my name is Pastor Joseph Vericellia. I missed you guys. Uh, A series of events, you know, brought uh, going home for a Christmas break and then going to school for two weeks at at Andrews. I'm I'm now back home. So I'm I'm grateful to be here. Um, and I'm grateful you're here as well. You know, I saw one of the most beautiful things that you could see in church today. I saw a whole bunch of kids, I think like 28 of them up here. And, uh, and it's just beautiful. Just beautiful, isn't it? It, it? Or am I the only one that thinks that? That's wonderful. That's the future of the church, folks. Well, with that, let's have a word of prayer and get started. Are we, are we on here? Is it on? I have a red light. I think you guys need to put new batteries in this. Well, anyway, we'll use this for the time being. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open up your holy word, we pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Open our minds and our hearts, Lord, to receive your word. And may we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
Well, this morning we're going to spend uh, some time in the book of Hebrews. So I hope you have your Bibles open there. And I need to give you a little background about the book before we get started. The book was sent to who? Hebrews. Amen? Says That's by the title. But what they mean by that, by saying that, is that these were, were Jewish converts to Christianity. Now, this letter was sent sometime before the destruction of the temple. There's many reasons in, this, in the text for that. But so we, we have a letter going out from, we think, Paul. Most people think that it was Paul that wrote this. There are some that think it was uh, Luke and, or Apollos or, or uh, several others. But uh, the, 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 the most evidence is that, that Paul wrote this. So he writes this to his fellow believers there in Jerusalem who had converted to Christ. Now that I have your full undivided attention, if we had time we could get into more uh, uh, of this. It's just such a rich, diverse book and very powerful but I want to start out by telling you that for the Jewish believers who had converted to Christ, they came to a point after Jesus left and ascended up into heaven, they came to a point where life really started to set in. You know how it is when you become converted to Christ, you give your heart to Jesus, and everything is wonderful. The world is just beautiful all around you. And then... It starts to creep in, and you start coming to the realization that life, just because you became a Christian, it doesn't mean that your life can't be difficult. Can I get an amen to that? Maybe you guys don't know about struggles. But that's what it was like for the Hebrews there. They had converted to Christ, Christ left, and then their world started coming in again. And they started wondering, started questioning their faith. And, they, and they, they began to ponder the idea of going back to, into Judaism. You see, when they left, they left everything. You have to understand that in that time, when you became a Christian, you were marked in society. You were no longer accepted by your Jewish neighbors, by your Jewish friends, by your co-workers, by anyone else in the culture and society that you lived in. You couldn't go to the synagogue. And oftentimes, sometimes they would even kill you for your faith. So with all of this pressing upon them, they wonder, they begin to ponder, should we go back to Judaism? Should we go back to the culture that we understand? Should we go back to the religious system that we're so comfortable with? And the writer of Hebrews writes this, In chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. This, my friends, is the Greek word katanoeo. Katanoeo. And so, what does that mean? Any Greek scholars here? No? Me either. So it means to fix your mind or your eyes on something in order to understand it. So the writer here is not asking the people just to take a casual glimpse at Jesus, a passing look. 
but to stare and concentrate and, and, and use their, their mind to explore who Jesus really is. Consider him. Then he goes on to say a couple of things which, from a, uh, from a Jewish standpoint, makes no sense at all. He says, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Now, I thought Jesus had apostles, but this is declaring that Jesus is an apostle. So how do you resolve that? How is it that Jesus is an apostle? Well, if we understand the the Greek word for apostle, it means someone who is sent. My friends, was Jesus sent? Did he have a mission? He was sent out. And in fact, this declares that Jesus is the chief of apostles. He's the one that was sent. But how is it that Jesus could be our high priest? What tribe did Jesus come from? Judah. Now that's the tribe of the priest, right? No. What tribe was it of the priest? Levi. So how is it possible? Now we're looking at this from a Jewish understanding, my friends. How would it be possible that Jesus, this Jesus that came from the tribe of Judah, could even be a priest at all? He's not from the the tribe of Levi. Let alone be a high priest. And then he goes further. If that wasn't enough, he goes beyond this. And he says here in verse 3, he says, or verse 2, I, I, I mean, he was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. Now, that doesn't strike you guys all that strange, right? As you're Christians, you've been Christians, you understand Jesus and who he is. But the writer here is comparing Jesus with Moses. And in the Jewish understanding, Moses was it. I mean, think about Moses' relationship with God. Moses met with God face to face in the tent. He was there with him. Speaking with him. And, and in Jewish understanding, Moses was it. He was the tippy top. He was the pinnacle. He was the one that was set as an example. And this writer is comparing Christ and putting him on the same plane with Moses. But he says something interesting about Moses here. He says that he was also, as he was in his, all his house. You see, Moses was a servant. And that will become significant for us to understand. That he was a servant, but Moses was was for them the the highest. Then he goes on in verse 3, he says, For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Whoa, wait a minute. Do you remember the reaction of the Pharisees when Jesus went into the temple and he declared himself to be the Son of God? Yeah, this is the same gut reaction that, 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 that this writer would have gotten from those believers. You know, Jews that hadn't converted to Christ. That's the reaction that they would have given. Moses 
Jesus is greater than Moses. He's of more value, more worth. By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. So Moses, you see, he holds up Moses and he says, Moses was faithful. And was Moses faithful? Amen. He demonstrated great faithfulness to God. But he holds up Christ even higher. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? You see, this was present truth when this letter was given. And I believe it's still, for us today, present truth. See, we understand that Jesus is doing something for us in the heavenly sanctuary. Many, I've been in in, in other churches. In fact, I've been a member of of some other churches before I became a Seventh-day Adventist. And when you talk about what Jesus is doing up in heaven, they have... They don't have a vague idea. Maybe he's up there playing a harp on a cloud or something. They don't know. But I'm so grateful to God that God has given to this church a message about what Christ is actually doing in heaven. So just as the builder of the house is more important than the house, that's Christ is more important than Moses. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, he's just placed Jesus on the same plane as God. Isn't that what his rightful place? Isn't that not Jesus' rightful place in the universe? Co-regent with the Father? My friends, it's so vitally important for us to understand the high and elevated place that Jesus holds. Because he wants us to draw faith from him in what he's done for us. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. We've all been given stewardship over things in our lives. Do you realize that, that God has placed you as a steward over your house and over your car and over your belongings and your clothes, your children? And that's an important role. But what the writer is saying is that Jesus doesn't come under that type of authority. He doesn't come with the authority of a servant. He comes as the authority of a son, the sonship of God. Jesus is the one and only begotten son of God. And so it's, this, it's in this context that the writer writes what he does in Hebrews. And he goes on to say, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until when? Until tomorrow? Till the day after that? No, my friends. We need to hold fast until the end. Now, that might be different for some of us. Perhaps the end for us might come today or tomorrow. Or maybe our end won't come until Jesus comes in the clouds of glory. Amen? 
you know, those people will not taste death. But God wants us to hold faith in whom? A servant? No, my friends, in his son. Our faith and our confidence can be placed in Christ. As their faith was wavering, this was the message to them. Hold fast, my friends. Don't go back to what was before. Now, I don't know about you, but I wasn't raised a Christian. I was raised a heathen. I praise God for his mercy and his tender, and his tender watch care over me that brought me into faith in Jesus Christ. I have nothing to return to out there. There is nothing worth returning to. As we come to Christ and we surrender our hearts to him and we give our lives to him, our lives become so much more. And what was before should be abandoned, left behind, if you will. I can't help but think about Lot's wife leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. Where was her heart? Was it, was it with God? No, my friends, it was back in Gomorrah. God warned, don't look back, don't go back. And our warning still, still today, my friends, is don't return to that godless life that's out there. Hold fast unto your faith and stay strong until the end. Therefore, verse 7, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, when? Today, if you should hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they uh, provoked me, as in the days of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Who is this writer writing about at this point? He's writing about their ancestors. The ones, remember, that came out of, Mo, uh, out of, uh, out of Egypt with Moses. Moses drove them across the desert. God opened before them the Red Sea and destroyed the greatest army that existed on the face of the earth at that day. And he brought them to Kadesh Barnea. And there it was that the 12 spies went in to the land. Now God had told them, my friends, God had told them that the land was good and that he was going to give them the land. But when they came back, what did they say? There were two, there were two out of the 12 that reported exactly what God had promised to them. The land is a good land. It's flowing with milk and honey, just the way that God promised it would be. And we can take it. But ten of them came back and said, oh, it's, it's, it's dangerous. Everything, everything that goes in there dies. They kill it. You know why? Because there's giants there. And we look like grasshoppers in their sight. They lacked faith, my friends. 
And as a result, what did they do? For 40 years, God drove them around the desert, around the desert, every year, I don't know if you realize this, but every year they came past Kadesh Barnea. As a reminder of what they could have had. You know, today, we still have our own Kadesh Barneas. I don't know about you, but there are certain things that I struggle with. Sins that are in my life that I need God to help me with. The sad thing is that I keep coming, being brought back to the place of surrender. And I fail. And God has to continue working with me. I don't know if that's true for you. Maybe all of your sins are gone and you've confessed all of them, and God's cleansed you from all of them, and you're not struggling with sin. If that's the case, God bless you. You're ready for translation. What are you doing here? (laughs) But we have those Kadesh Barneas in our lives. It's for a reason. God wants to keep bringing us back to there until we finally get it and say, yes, Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but the, the things that I've given over to God have claw marks on them. I've had to have, I've, had, I've tried to hold on to them as God's pulling them away. And that's really not what God wants. God wants us to freely and willingly surrender these things to him, amen? We have to believe, though, that he can give us the victory. Verse 10 says, Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they, all, they always go astray in their what? Their heart. You see, this this sin problem is not a head problem. We're not going to solve it with head knowledge. Is it good for us to have knowledge and understanding? Yes, absolutely. God gave us a brain for a reason. But the knowledge and information that we gain about God has to make an 18-inch travel or, or journey before it has the impact that God intends it to have. You see, your religion cannot be just an intellectual pursuit, my friends. It must move from your head to your heart. And when it affects your heart, then it becomes a lasting and permanent transition for you. And you're absolutely changed. You see, God says elsewhere in Scripture that he wants to take that heart of stone out of you and put it, replace it with a heart of flesh. The heart of flesh, my friends, when it's touched, it reacts. The heart of stone does not. God wants to be able to touch our hearts and for us to react and respond to his touch. And then he goes on to say, And they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, we're here on the seventh day, the Sabbath of the Lord God, creator of all the universe. On that day, we're supposed to rest from all of our labors. Amen? Maybe you didn't hear me. I said we're supposed to rest from all of our labors today. What are we resting in? The Sabbath? Are we resting in a day? No. No, we're not. We're resting in Christ. 
and his salvation and the works that he's done for, for us. Just as, as those uh, Hebrews that came out of Egypt were supposed to trust God and turn over their hearts to him and go into the land that he had promised to them, he would, they would rest in his works. Who was going to conquer those nations that existed in there? It was God. And if you look at the first city that they came to, Jericho, did they do the fighting? No. They did something which makes absolutely no sense from a military standpoint. I spent 13 years in the military. We talked about trumpets this morning. So here's the military strategy. Gather all the people, bring the ark with you, and march for six days, march around the city one time, and then blow the trumpets. Well, they're gonna, that's really going to intimidate them. They're going to be behind their walled cities, and they're going to go, wow, these Israelites, they're, they're a scary bunch. They march around and they blow trumpets. Six days they did that. Six days. Don't you think maybe that some of the people were thinking, you know, what's, what is the Lord doing? But see, we don't have to understand what God's plan is. We just have to follow it. Amen? He doesn't have to reveal everything to us. But on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times and blew their trumpets. And what happened? The walls fell down. That makes no sense either. I don't think those trumpet blasts were strong enough to make walls fall down. Or that six days of marching around caused the earth to be unsettled enough for the walls to fall down. It was the power of God, my friends, that brought those walls down. And it is the power of God that will bring those walls down in your life as well. And then he goes on in verse 12 to say, Take care, brethren. Take care that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving, what? Heart that falls away from the living God. You see, my friends, it's not a head problem. It's a heart problem. I can tell you that of all the people, all the Christians that I've encountered, and I've encountered from all kinds of denominations, all different flavors of Christianity. Seventh-day Adventists know their Bible better than anyone else. In fact, they used to know their Bible so well that before we had a name, Seventh-day Adventists, you know what we were called? The people of the book. The people of the book. I think, I wish, I wish that we were still that strong in the Scriptures, that that's how people knew us. I think that's where God wants us to be again. Don't fall away. Verse 13, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. We're supposed to do what? Discourage one another at every opportunity, right? Beat each other up when you see somebody doing something wrong. Call them out on it. Bring them up front. Tell everybody, hey, I saw a brother or sister so-and-so doing such and such. Is that what we're supposed to do? No, my friends, we are supposed to encourage one another in the Lord. 
I don't know if you've ever seen a muskox. Any of you ever seen one of those animals? They live up in the tundra. They, have, they look sort of like a buffalo with these pointy horns. But they have a particular behavior that they, that they do. You see, they, when they have young ones, they, for, for some strange reason, they feel like they, they should protect them. And the weak ones and the old ones, they feel like they should protect them. So when a, when a wolf or a wolf pack comes around, you know what they do? They, took the, they put their hind, hind ends towards each other and they form a circle so that all you have is muskox horns hang, sticking out in every direction. And, and, the, and the little ones and the, the hurt or injured ones or the old ones are in the middle. You see, they come around and they surround those that need help and protect them. My friends, that's exactly what the church should do. Do you realize, I don't know if you realize enough, that there's a roaring lion out there seeking whom he may devour. And you know which ones the the lion wants to pick off? It's the weak and the sick and the old and the young. He doesn't even concentrate on the ones that are strong. He puts forth his efforts and energies into looking and finding out which is the weakest, which is the most feeble one. And that's the one I'm going to attack. And too, too many times, my friends, too many times, as Christians, when that attack starts happening, we abandon that one and leave them to their own. It shouldn't be that way, my friends. Of all the people on earth, we should come to the defense of the weak. Amen? We should come to the defense of those who are under attack by the devil. We should be able to come here to church and share the struggles that we're having with one another. Amen? And not put on a false face and come into church and you have, your, your week has been a disaster. And the devil's attacked you at, 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 every, at, at, at every opportunity. Maybe even on the way to church. And you come in and you put the smile on. And you tell everybody, happy Sabbath. My friends, there, there are individuals here today that are hurting. There are individuals here today that need Encouragement. Those, if you are, if maybe you're one of the ones that had a wonderful, blessed week, God was with you at every moment. And you're on the high, high of religious experiences. Then come alongside the person who's had the struggle and encourage them. The last thing we want to happen is for them to abandon their faith. And when should we do that? My friends, it says that we should do that today, as long as the day is called today. So that none, how many? None of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's how we get that stony heart. We start out, God gives us a a heart of, of flesh, but if we're not careful, 
and we allow ourselves to be tainted by sin long enough, our hearts, our hearts will harden towards it. And we won't react to the touch of God. In verse 14, he says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast to the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. You know, my friends, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. That's important. Many of us have had bad starts. Maybe we've even had bad middles. You get going and things fall apart. But my friends, it's not over till it's over. It's not too late, as long as you're breathing today, to surrender your heart to Jesus and say, Lord, my spiritual experience with you has not been what I would like it to be. I'd like it to be so much more and so much better. Please forgive me and cleanse me from all of my sins and draw me close to you, Lord. I want to be with you, not just today, but forever. Then the writer says this in verse 18, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient, my friends? You see, our relationship with, with in any relationship that we have, Needs to, there needs to be a, uh, an, a, a, a faithfulness to the relationship. Amen? Be it human relationships or a relationship with God. But in our relationship to God, it's not law-keeping that will save us. But it's entering into that right relationship where we are obedient to his will. You think about Jesus' life. You think about the way he lived and, and how he prayed. And how, how he prayed in Gethsemane. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. That should be our cry each day. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. May that never be so for us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for giving to us the examples in Scripture of those that have gone before us. Lord, help us to learn. Help us to learn to be faithful to you. Help us to enter into the rest that you're offering to us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the works that he does on our behalf. Lord, help us to remain faithful, not just today, but until the end. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.